everybody. You're listening to Angel Nears, a Silicon Valley community that brings startup builders and experienced operators together to share key insights on how to build and scale startups. I'm your host, Oleg Kujikov, and our guest today is Gaurav Bhattacharya, a co-founder and CEO of Involve.ai that aims to help customers find signals in siloed systems and parse through millions of data points to prevent customer churn, increase revenue, and personalize those customer experiences. Today, we're talking with Gaurav about how AI can bolster customer success. But before we get into that, Gaurav, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Oleg. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be part of the Angel Ears community. Yeah, we're excited to bring you on board. Let's get started by learning a little bit more about you. I guess before you got started in tech, just tell us about you know your background. I was born in New Delhi. That's where I come from. Come from a very humble family. I like, lost my dad to cancer when I was two years old. Uh, my mother was a blue-collar worker. She washed utensils door-to-door. So growing up, I had a difficult childhood. It was me and my brother. Uh, but my brother loved playing video games. <laughs> and he would come back from work and school uh, and just, just get... He was hooked. He was very introverted. And I loved my brother. I He was my role model growing up. So I started playing a lot of video games when I was eight years old. I started coding when I was 10 years old because of it, because I wanted to build games. And at 12, I built my first video game. It was a it was a racing game based built in the streets of New Delhi. So it was, it was a lot of fun doing that. And so that's been my background. I've been coding for many years now. And um, when I was 15 years old, I went to high school in a, in a coding class. And I met Samia, who's my co-founder for this company. So we both were nerdy kids back in high school. And she's a rock star programmer. And we met fighting for the front desk <laughs> so so in hindsight didn't make either of us cool but we both love coding and and we became friends and we started uh working on on our first idea together so we we always wanted we were very entrepreneurial we wanted to build things both of Samia's parents are doctors and one of the challenges they always faced was hey how do we get in touch with our patients on a regular basis. There's so much work to do as a doctor, but you want to be able to give best practices and engage your patients throughout the journey. So we came up with this idea of building kind of almost like a HubSpot or a Marketo, uh, but for doctors and hospitals to engage with the patients so they could send messages, uh, text messages, in-app messages, newsletters, uh, just to improve patient experience. And, and that was a cool project we did in high school decided to not go to college and that became our first company. So uh, that's a little bit about my background and how I got into tech. So Involved is not the first startup that you've started. Can you maybe talk about what you learned at your, at your, at your first experience? And then uh, I was going to ask about work experience too. So is it all like hands-on learning straight from working or did you, have you done any um, formal education outside of high school? I did. I did some formal education. <laughs> I, I still remember the day. I'll tell you a funny story. I think it was vividly remember. It was just a just a regular afternoon. My mother came back from work and I came to her. I think I think I had graduated from high school and I told her that I don't want to go to college. And she cried for hours. All like <laughs> she was like, What are you talking about? I worked so hard. You know, I've, I've given you everything in life so that you can get an education, get a white collar job and get health insurance. So so it's uh, being Indian and, and I think the, the Asian community can also talk, can empathize with me. Going to college and getting an education is a must have. It's not an option 
for us. So um, after we had an opportunity to sell our first company and it was a decent exit, we had grown a lot over the uh, eight years or six to six and a half to seven years that we ran the company. Um, we had grown to about 80 people and a hospital wanted to acquire us. Um, after that, I had an opportunity to come to the U.S. I started working with PricewaterhouseCoopers and uh, they had a really nice program where you could actually uh, go to school and they would sponsor your education and it was the perfect opportunity for me. So I did uh, my bachelor's in aerospace engineering and aeronautics engineering from Cal State Long Beach while I was working for PwC and and uh, made my mom happy after after a few years of heartache. <laughs> would be happy to send their kid to uh, an, any kind of aerospace program. Just curious, how did you decide, how did you settle on aerospace? Because that's uh, so different from, you know, building software, right? Yeah, it's very, it's very different. One of my passions always, and, and, and it almost feels like this was one game that I started that I could never finish. Uh, one, one of the things I was really passionate about was building something that kind of mimics uh, the Martian atmosphere. And, and if there was an opportunity to build kind of like an ecosystem, and, and I just got hooked. I was building uh, just video games of airplanes that could fly on Mars. And I started learning about the uh, just the aerodynamics that's needed. You need really long wingspans because atmosphere is very thin. What's what's happening with carbon dioxide? How do you did propulsion engines that work on Earth wouldn't necessarily work on Mars? That just got me super excited about it, and I've always kept up to speed. And uh, <laughs> I'm drinking from the Kool Aid that that Elon Musk has been talking about going to Mars, and I felt like that was my opportunity to contribute. And, and I did aerospace engineering, very different from the software career. I'm back in software now and, and coding now, but I feel like there's an opportunity to contribute and learn something and do something difficult that could hopefully help me in my, in my future life. Sure. And has it been helpful? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not really. <laughs> no. So, so, so I'll give you my, my experience here. So I, I came in uh, to the U S as an immigrant. I, come from New Delhi, like I was saying, as soon as I graduated and I, I was searching for programs, uh, I had a really phenomenal interview with Boeing. And I remember, so they were building these electric aircrafts uh, that is phenomenal. And it's almost like having a Tesla car or an electric vehicle, but uh, all, takes takes only about 36,000 lithium-ion batteries to go from, let's say, LA to San Francisco basically cuts down air tickets by one eighth home. So you can you can fly for twenty-five to thirty dollars, which is just phenomenal. And and I, I cleared multiple rounds of interviews and then towards the end uh the project got classified because they got government funding and and it basically became uh you need high high security clearance which I couldn't couldn't get as an immigrant. So so there was a lot of challenges I think with the industry of who can work on things, who cannot, and how information is, is shared, which does not exist for a lot of like the startup ecosystem, um, especially if you're in fintech or if you're in gaming or mobile development, literally if you're doing anything else where the government is not involved <laughs> directly, there's a lot of access and a lot of diversity and a lot of different people can participate. But I, I didn't find that experience. Um, I, I, did, I did learn a lot <laughs> about... Um, just just about solving hard problems. I would say that that was the number one thing that I walked away from getting a formal education. 
And then uh, help me fill the gap. So is there any kind of work experience between your first company, school, and starting Involve? Or, or did you kind of, after the Boeing experience, decide, you know, hey, I got to I gotta start my own company? How did that yeah. happen? <laughs> so so I did I did work for uh, PwC first, PricewaterhouseCoopers. And uh, that was a really cool experience too. And, and it was almost like a startup inside PwC. So what PwC was doing is they were trying to build an app that kind of uses machine learning and AI to replace management consultants, which is <laughs> primarily a lot of their business, but it's a very cool idea. So it was a small project. We ran it for some time and uh, the project didn't go anywhere, but I learned a lot and and, and I wish may- maybe if I'm going to do another startup again, I feel that that's, that's the idea I'd go to market with. Um, Swami is my co-founder and I was working with another cool tech company called ASML at that time in San Diego. And my co-founder had recently moved to San Francisco to do her bachelor's and master's in in computer science and machine learning from UC Santa Cruz. She had just graduated. And I remember we were meeting down in Los Angeles and just enjoying sunny weather. We were at a high hop and and we were talking about what are we doing with our lives? (laughs) And and she had she was telling me that she's in the final stages of interviewing at Google and she'd probably take a job there. That gave me a lot of fear of missing out. I had severe FOMO and I said, hey, what if we start another company? And and that's how Inval started. We started as a very different idea. All like so we our initial vision was we we in the in the first few months of working to, <laughs> together again, we didn't know what we were gonna do. And we landed with this idea that hey, wouldn't it be cool if you have some time and you can give back to the community and you can volunteer probably with a nonprofit? So let's say Oleg and Oleg's in San Francisco and he has a few hours uh, on a Saturday that's free with his family, with his dad. He can go in and give back to the community. Maybe he can help them set up their broadcasting engine because he's really good at with podcasts and with tech. He understands that he can help really help help them set it up. And and that was kind of the vision we went to market with. We built this app. We had almost uh, we took seed funding for it as well. We ran it for about four years. Uh, one of the biggest challenges we found Oleg was just lack of deep product market fit. We couldn't figure out how to monetize it. Even though we had a lot of users, we had 2 million users, but churn was a big issue for us. So we were losing a lot of our customers and we just didn't know where to focus. And September of 2020, uh, I had $16,400 left in the bank. We had 18 employees and we had two weeks of runway. (laughs) And and Sami and me, uh, we were just looking at each other and basically saying, hey, uh, we probably have to shut the business down. It was a really hard experience. I remember I had written down this email to all our users saying that, hey, we won't, we're really sorry, we let you down, but thank you for, you know, just a gratitude message. <laughs> and then Sally was like, wait a second, maybe we could really just analyze some of our data and figure out which cohort or which users can use the system and pay pay us for it. So we just started gathering. We had four years worth of, support tickets. We use Zendesk. We had Salesforce for all our sales data. We had like HubSpot for marketing analytics. We uh, had Snowflake where we were storing all our product information. We just got that together and started just deep diving into our data, literally line by line, trying to figure out which cohorts of users are sticky, which ones aren't. And and the end result was phenomenal. Like, like even though <laughs> we kind of realized that, hey, a, like we don't have great product market fit and B, like we've made so many mistakes throughout our journey that 
don't think that this idea can really survive or has legs. But we did feel like we we had all these insights that we didn't before. And that was our aha moment. So we called up our board and I asked, hey, I have $16,000 left. I can return this capital back to you. Or I have like another idea I could try with. They were like, A, 16000 like is nothing. <laughs> you know, it's don't even think about returning capital back to us. And B, we invested in you guys. Why don't you just keep trying and see if you can build something new? So we pivoted and we we basically came out with the idea of customer intelligence saying that, hey, we can take all the data that you have and really show you and tell you a story about your customers. And then keep telling you these stories every week, every month, every day. So you wake up and everybody in the company knows exactly what their customers are feeling, saying, doing, and then you can act on it and you can save your customers, double down on it, prevent churn, increase upsells and expansion, and ultimately just be more customer centric. And and that's kind of how Involve AI was started. Interesting. All right. So I want to take kind of a step back and talk about, you know, customer success in general before we before we you know continue talking about Involve, which we will. But on the on the on the, on the along the lines of customer centric, like why is understanding your customers and and having a customer success department? Why is being customer centric important for companies today? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's a great question, Oleg. And what I have seen is the biggest challenge that ends up happening is, is so let's t- take, taking a step back. Uh, when a company starts, you're very close to your customers. A company is nothing but a group of people that come together to create a product and service for a group of customers. So every business in the world starts like that. When you start a business, you're very close to your customers. You know exactly what they're doing, what they're saying. But as soon as you have 100 customers and 100 employees, then 1,000 customers, 1,000 employees, 10,000, so forth, the management team moves further and further away from their customers. Even the frontline people are not talking to each other. They're not learning from each other. We found that there's this massive opportunity. There's a lot of unstructured data that's present in all the different software as a service solutions that people use now. There's a lot of data that doesn't get analyzed. What if we take this unstructured data and turn this into predictive insights, into A, understanding what your customers are doing and saying, and then disseminating and democratizing this data so better decisions can be made. So far, when we started with the vision, customer success was very attractive to us because as founders, you're very customer obsessed. Uh, Swami and I used to take every customer call. We've been we managed support late at night. We've done that because we really wanted to care about our customers for our first company. Even with the volunteering product, we were very hands-on. We would go to a lot of these events to make sure that the the users are getting an amazing experience when they're volunteering in the community. So we felt like there's an opportunity to help the community that we are so passionate about. And that was our first use case. And that's what we went to market with is saying, can we give a system to customer success and customer service teams where now they can be more proactive in preventing churn in increasing upsells and expansions, and then ultimately just improving customer experience and helping customers drive amazing outcomes with the products that they're serving. So that became our first use case. And that's that's why we're so passionate about this. I understand it's a problem and, and obviously you don't want customers churning, but how big of a problem is this for your average customer success manager? Yeah, and not just for the customer success manager, but 
84% of a company's revenue comes from its current customers. That's what there's a stat by Gartner which says that. So if you imagine all of the world's companies and all of the world's businesses with, with SaaS companies, and not just SaaS companies, but subscription revenue and subscription companies now comprise of 23% of the business model. So if you think about it, this industry is growing about 10% year over year, almost from everything from Netflix to Uber to your grocery deliveries to uh, the software that you buy at an enterprise-grade security software have subscription business models now. So it's really important to understand your customer at the right time with intelligence so you can be proactive instead of being reactive. I think at a at a business level, even companies like Google and Salesforce, they're going to make 94% of their revenue in 2022 with their current customers. So it's extremely important to focus on an, a methodology and a philosophy of customer-led growth, where you are focusing on your current customers, you are keeping the revenue that they that you're getting from them, and then you're expanding them instead of just chasing new logos and new customer base. So at a company level, this becomes a really big problem because it directly ties to revenue. It also ties to the products you're building and customer service. Now going to customer success managers, some of the day-to-day hassles that they have is just being overwhelmed and not knowing which accounts to focus on and then not knowing what to do about them. A lot of CSMs are maybe have two or three or four years of professional experience. They are also sometimes kids out of college that are are now thrown into a customer-facing role. So these are young professionals who are eager to learn and are hungry, but may not have the right coaching on necessarily knowing where to focus their attention on and also what to do about them. These guys are also, um, these people also don't have enough experience with data analytics. So if a lot of their time is spent on analyzing the customer data, then that makes it almost impossible for them to do a real-time work. Like as an example, I was reading a stat which said almost 60% of a customer success manager's time is spent on either updating Salesforce or a tool like Gainsight or updating some software that they're using every day or a call center software instead of actually spending the time emailing or talking to the customer. Now, that's a big pain point. What we are trying to do is make such that the analytics piece can be handled by a platform, and then that can serve up two things. One, a prioritization, which says, these are the accounts, these are the customers you need to focus on, and B, this is what you need to do about it. And that's kind of what we are providing, almost a recommendation engine for CSMs to solve a pretty big problem for companies on retaining their revenue, which is going to kind of bolster the growth of their business. So what have we said so far? Customer success is easy when you're a small company because you're a founder, you're talking to your customers directly, but as you get more customers and those numbers grow, Mm -hmm. managing all of that gets, gets really complicated. I want to understand what like the alternate solutions are for customer success managers today. You you said, you know, they're filling out uh, these softwares to kind of, to do analytics. And I know that one common practice is to kind of update and track health scores. Is that kind of what you're, is that kind of what you're seeing? Like CSMs, they need to spend time creating scores versus actually like analyzing the scores. They're kind of feeding the analysis machine versus like having it feed them with what what to go do. Can you talk about that? Like what 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 are CSMs doing today? And you already kind of did. 
is there anything else like uh, that that mm-hmm. they're doing today that they could be what's the pain point what are they spending their time on that they shouldn't be <laughs> or that they yeah i think i think the biggest one or the or the few big ones that we have seen is number one just inability or or lack of visibility into their customers one of the biggest challenges that happens because if the way data is stored at companies, there's so many SaaS systems now, so many silos that it's impossible to have a single view of kind of like a single pane of glass by saying, here's an account, here's a customer, here's what's going on with them, here's the usage patterns, here's who we are in, in here talking to, what's been their upsell pattern in the past, their, you know, if they have any discounts in the past, all of this is is not available easily to the CSMs, which makes them really reactive, which means that, hey, when a customer gets mad and they're shouting at you and they have a complaint, that's kind of where all the attention goes to. Uh, And a lot of these decisions are made by the gut. And you talked about customer health scores, which was a perfect example. A lot of these customer health scores, softwares, or if you do it on a spreadsheet even, it's done based on gut. And it's done based on by saying, Every time the the you know the interaction is less than ten emails, that's that's negative. Every time support cases are more than twenty, that's negative, and and that's kind of how it's built. And what that means is there's no real risk identification or no real opportunity identification in the past, and everything's happening on a reactive level. So that's that's the current way that things are done. The in our opinion, the new world is driven by data which means there needs to be visibility, getting a 360 view of all your customers, proactiveness, which means, hey, you can identify risks for retention, but also opportunities for new SQLs, new qualified pipeline opportunities inside your customer base for expansion, for cross-sell or an upsell based on seats or cross-sell for new products. Then prescription, meaning that, hey, we'll give you recommendations and coaching to impact an opportunity, impact the customer at the right time, at the right moment. And finally, having collaboration where you can not only just share ideas with each other on the same platform, but you can also involve sales, you can involve revenue operations, you can involve your product people to collaborate across the entire customer journey. And, And that's where we feel the world's moving towards. And it's moving more to from uh, uncertainty and moving from gut-based and opinion-based to more clarity and more data-driven decisions. And and that's what that's where we feel a platform like Involve.ai or any other platform, maybe a hack of like Tableau, some BI solutions, maybe a data science team together can really solve for the companies that are growing and scaling and want to retain and expand their customer base. You kind of help customers find signals in various systems that might be siloed and kind of parse through lots, millions of data points. Can you talk about some of the the variables that you are looking at uh, that might impact customer success? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So going into some of the variables, the number one that I have seen, I'll I'll go into some some fun analysis that we have done recently. The first variable we found is number of support tickets. We found that a high number of low severity support tickets in the first three months of onboarding a new customer means that there's almost a 90% plus upsell expansion opportunity for that customer. Now, traditionally, you have a lot of support tickets means that, hey, something's not right. Something's not going well with an account, with a customer, with a user. 
it's almost a negative correlation with it. So what we've seen is more support tickets is actually a great thing if they're resolved on time, if they're in the early in the in the process of an onboarding. So that's the kind of things that we look at for a customer base. We also looked at first time to value. We found that customers, uh, traditionally, the whole industry is based on first time to value should be as quick as possible, as soon as possible. What we have seen, it's not the first time to value, but it's the time to the expected value that the user was trying to achieve. And that's what's really important. For a lot of cases, we found for a lot of our customers, we figured out that every time first time to value was minimum, there was actually a pretty high churn risk associated with that account because there either was in continuous value or the expected value the customer was wanting to see. Those are the kind of insights that we have seen that are driven by data and driven by analytics. But the the ultimately, some of the key indicators we look at is it starts with product usage, product utilization. So it could be anything from number of logins, number of sessions. It could be time on the product, downloads, reports downloaded, number of users that are added. Then it goes into revenue trends. So it's everything from the the history of the account, how revenue has gone up or gone down, number of transactions, upsell, churn, all of these metrics are really important. Interaction frequency becomes extremely important, which means number of emails, support tickets. It also could be the uh, the qualitative data here. So call information, number, you know, if you're talking to decision makers, if you if you have a good relationship with some of the champions that are not, did a champion leave the company, those become key indicators. And then finally, there's a piece of opinions of the people who are managing the account. A lot of times we can say that, hey, Amazon's a really happy customer and they're about to now go from 200,000 in annual revenue to 400,000. And a person can get out the phone and say, hey, Amazon's actually making a lot of layoffs and they just let the CMO just left the company. Uh, and and that health score has a big impact on data points as well. So that's a signal, the qualitative signal of the rep or the, the person on the ground is a big signal that contributes to customer health too. Like a lot of interesting data, but it sounds like it's from various places, right? Like product uses is not necessarily going to come from the same data source that uh, revenue might or something. Where do you get the data and are you getting data from multiple places and and stitching it together? How does that work? Yeah, we have a really interesting integration with Fivetran, and it's a, it's a phenomenal company. They've done a great job in having almost 170 plus integrations in their repertoire. So what we do is we integrate with them. And based on that, we have easy access to APIs from Salesforce to multiple systems like Zendesk uh, to HubSpot. We even integrate with a lot of the customer success platforms that are doing really well. So Gainsight, Tango, Churn Zero, and we date, we're, we've become platform agnostic. So our thesis is, hey, no matter where your data is, we're going to pull this data for you. Instead of creating a data science team, which can be really expensive, you get a platform in the power of almost 10 data scientists cleaning and analyzing your data in real time and then helping you have intelligence about your customers. So those are some of the different data sources we plug in. But our commitment is no matter where a customer's data lives in, we're going to pull it and then we're going to fit in your workflow. I'm a big believer of that. I don't want to, we don't want to create another system of record and another system where everyone has to spend their time. It's really hard. Everyone has their own systems now. Hey, people want to use Gmail. 
they can be in Gmail. If they want to use Salesforce, they can be in Salesforce. If they want to use Asana, they can be in Asana. And we'll just pull the data and then push it back to them. And that's that's our that's been our primary focus on how we see product development as well. Use AI. So, tenth so jumping in tenth grader, perfect. So the way that we use artificial intelligence is that these models can learn. And and the basic premise about having AI is that you can learn and then fix a behavior or provide a recommendation based on learnings. So as an example, when uh, a Tesla auto drive works, so it is taking different variables, like there's a car coming on your right and it's not safe to go right or go change a lane when a car is coming and, and passing you. So this, that's exactly what AI is doing in our case. What we do is we are building almost like a mini Google inside a company. So when we go for a company and say, hey, we're going to organize all of your company's data and we're going to then make it available, easy to use for everybody in the company. So we organize the data and we use a lot of machine learning and AI to just organize the data. And as an example, we use something called fuzzy logic, which means if in a company you have AWS as an account and in Salesforce, it says amazon.com, your emails are Amazon, Inc. And maybe in your accounting system, it says AWS. The machine learning and AI has the ability to understand where this data is associated by, fix it by timestamp, make some assumptions on it, and make sure that all of the information is associated now with Amazon as an account. The second thing we do is we do a benchmarking and segmentation analysis. The easiest way to describe it is we're learning from your history. So when we go into a company, we can look at the past and how what, what has happened in the past, what has been the win-loss of customers and opportunities, and when you have when have you lost customers. And then using that data, we can say, what are the key indicators of churn and expansion for that company? So as an example, for one of our customers, we found that every time a customer of their customer goes from five projects to three projects and goes from daily active to weekly active usage, there's almost a 94% chance of churn. And every time a competitor is mentioned, there's almost a 40% chance of expansion. Now, based on these trends and correlations, we can apply this this model and data sets to current data to say, hey, when you wake up in the morning, we'll tell you all the 10 accounts that have a risk that are at risk and what should you do about them. And we'll tell you all the 20 accounts that are doing really well, where there's an expansion, upsell, cross-sell potential. And that's how we use AI in the company. Accuracy of this model? Like how how accurately are you kind of able to predict churn? Yeah, we've about... We're about 84% accurate with the model, even without taking any historical data. So we've learned about SaaS models. We even have three patents that we've applied for based on our named entity recognition model and then our natural language processing model. When we get a customer's data, and if the data sets are more than a year old, then the accuracy jumps to almost 94%. After that, even during the life cycle of a company, because there's so much changing Oleg, we are constantly looking for data feedback loops, which means that every time we give a recommendation to a rep and the rep says, well, this doesn't make any sense or says phenomenal advice, let me go act on it. Now, based on that, just simple yes, no, adding to task or not adding to task, 
we're learning about the company and making the models better. For customers that we've had over a year, they're at almost 98% accuracy. So when we're giving them a recommendation or we're telling them a customer will churn, that there's it's a 90%, 98% chance that it will churn. So you got to act on it. And in the early days, we can aim up, aim to 84%. And that's kind of usually our benchmark we aim for for our new customers. Exciting numbers. <laughs> talk about key milestones. You've pivoted your company. But yeah, talk about some key milestones that you've achieved along the journey so far with Involve. Yeah, the the biggest one has been finding product market fit. When we pivoted the company, we kicked it off. Our biggest goal was, okay, in the first year, we'll probably do half a million in ARR. We instead did almost 4X of that. So we're about 2 million in ARR, and we went from zero to two in in, le- in about a year or 14 months now. So we've, se- we've grown 40% month over month, seeing some really good signs of product market fit. And our goal is to get to from between 8 to 10 million this year. Still early days, we're an early stage company, uh, but just seeing, seeing some really exciting growth and, and good signs of product market fit. And we define product market fit by, hey, if we take this product away, that will our users be really upset and mad at us? And we've had these situations before where we've had outages or <laughs> things have not been working. And I start getting emails all of a sudden, people saying, hey, you're letting us down. We can't see our dashboard. We don't know what to do today. And and that's just phenomenal. I think, I think that's been a pretty big milestone for us. The first milestone was, can we see signs of product market fit? The second milestone was, can we cross that 1 million mark? Uh, the third milestone I'm focusing, in, focusing on is repeatability, is hiring a leadership team. We recently hired a head off or VP off sales, marketing, customer success, uh, operations and product engineering. We've built our key leaders. Now it's about proving that we can move away from just founder-led sales and founder-led support to sales-led sales and actually customer support reps supporting the product. And that's kind of the next big milestone that's in front of us. Exciting. So we've talked milestones. How about points on the roadmap? As, as far as like what you can tell me, I, I, obviously, is there anything exciting that you're working on that, that you might be headed toward that you want to share? Yeah, a couple of really cool things that I'm that I'm very excited about. One is a feature called SmartFlows. And what SmartFlow does, it's a no-code um, automation platform, but it uses AI. So what we'll do is, based on your customer profiles, let's say, let's say we work with Nike. We don't work with Nike now, but hopefully we do. So we'll be able to see all the different products that Nike has. And based on data, we can start promotional campaigns that the AI will write from scratch. So it would literally tell you, internal comms, external comms, automation of tasks, like a 12 email plus text message sequence that you should be sending to all the users who have bought Air Maxes in the year of 2020. Now, that's kind of what we're doing. And it's it's amazing. It's really powerful. But what it does is it takes away the, the static flows that the marketing flows that are happening for customer success for your current customers and makes it more personalized, makes it more dynamic. And it's a, it's a really cool feature. We've done a lot of work on it. We have some of the smartest people in the company working towards it. But what it does is it just helps you have engagement campaigns, expansion campaigns, retention campaigns around your customer cohorts. But it's personalized. It's driven by data. And it's, I mean, it's phenomenal. The other cool feature that we've been working towards is it's just a simple, it's like a simple feature, but it's been the most demanded so far. And, and we have we have a really cool 
kind of history behind it. But you know, sometimes you're just off the phone with a customer and you take notes. And then now you have to like convert your notes to an email and do a follow-up. And then you have to send an internal email and maybe delegate tasks. Now, all of that would be done by AI. So what we have built is NLP and we use OpenAI's uh, engine GPT-3 here. What we do is we would look at any notes that the rep, CSM, customer success manager, service rep manager writes, we would convert that into an email template that they can just copy, paste, and send to the people on the call, maybe like a summary, summary of actions. If there's action items for internal stakeholders, a task would automatically be created for them, and it would be uploaded to Salesforce. So it's going to be really seamless, but ultimately, it's going to take, hey, a meeting notes to actionable insights, and, and that's, a, that's a, another feature we're really excited about. We're excited to see see it come out. Um, let's talk about the business. Who? So we kind of know who the primary users are, right? Customer success mm-hmm. managers. How do you build awareness amongst you know the the users of uh, of your business? Yeah, the, all the early customers, all like were a lot of word of mouth and a lot of <laughs> pure hustle. I would say, like we were really trying to just figure out the market. Uh, one strategy we used that worked really well was doing feedback campaigns. We wanted to figure out, hey, what's important in the market? What do users really care about? What what haven't they gotten out from previous systems that we could build for them? And when we started asking for feedback, we got a lot of early customers because of it. A lot of our early customers were, were talking about some of the pain points. Then we asked them, hey, if you were to build this, would you use it? They said yes. Then we asked them if if he if he kind of show you a demo, would you like to see it? They said yes. If he then they just started asking us for it. They were like, hey, is it live yet? Can how does security work? How do you guys implement this? How long would it take? And just just good signs of product market fit there. And and I think that's kind of how we've done built awareness. Moving on, we really want to go from that to <laughs> scalable sales and marketing. And that's we've struggled with that. We're really trying to focus on it and build go to market strategies moving forward managed to create any partnerships with other industry leaders we have there's a couple of key partnerships with churn zero and gainsight which are customer success platforms and they have been going really well zendes became our recent partner we are partners with snowflake so some of the other SaaS companies that are doing really well that have penetration inside customer success sales and and have leadership mindshare those are some of the partnerships that we've gone for uh, still early days for us in terms of like completely partner-led a lot of our inbound is still word of mouth is still through our website but hopefully in the future we can use partners to really grow our ecosystem how about the business model i know we, in the interview we said you know, every every company has a has a subscription business model these days. So I can mm-hmm. just assume we it's do as well. Right? <laughs> <laughs> spot on, spot on. It's subscription, um, and it's one twenty four a user a month. That's how we price our platform. Uh, you can start with a, a user. You can start with ten users. You can expand to a hundred users. But we kind of pr- we are dog fooding our own system. So mm-hmm. uh, we we when we started the company, we were two users on our own platform. Now we are more than fifty four people on the on the platform now. And it's a lot of land and expand. We start really small with some companies, and now we have thousands of users with them. For some companies, we're still early with 10, 15, 20 users. But that's how it works for us too. Move this to the closing section to recap the interview. What's one thing about Involve that makes you stand out from the crowd? The way to the way I would answer the question is in two parts. One is 
how are we different from what others are doing? And the biggest part is we are data-driven. We want to build it such a way that we can use AI to really understand and help people make data-driven decisions and move away from opinions. That's our thesis. That's what we believe in and what we're doing. The other thing that as a company we care a lot about is is creating jobs. I all I grew up with in a humble family where my mother never had a stable job. My personal passion is how can I create a company that's big enough that can create stable jobs for a million plus people? That's what motivates me. I would love the opportunity to do that. Maybe it's with Involve AI. Maybe it's with the next company I work with, but that's what gets us motivated. The core team, we all got together because we're really passionate about building a big business that can give a lot back to the community and then create a lot of meaningful jobs in the community. So uh, that's what gets gets us up in the morning every day. Okay. How about stuff that keeps you up at night? What are some challenges you face as a founder that uh, keep you awake? <laughs> the biggest one right now for us is repeatability. Uh, one of the things that works very well in the early days is it's a lot of pixie dust by founders. So <laughs> getting on calls, helping close key deals, and then also serving customers and doing whatever it takes. Uh, this The struggle that, that we're having and we're really trying to fix and build and our core focus and team has been, how do we go from there to having repeatable go-to-market models, having repeatable service models and really scaled infrastructure? And that's kind of what we are focused on next long-term goal, right? It's to, to build a generational company that'll uh, yeah. provide work for others. Another question I like to ask here, well, let's do the magic wand. If you could mag- wave a magic wand and change one thing uh, in your industry, what would you change? One thing that I could change in the industry is is really creating this ecosystem of having analytics-driven customer success and customer service. Um, marketing was an early adopter of this where everything's about data. It's about A-B testing and marketing operations and marketing analytics roles were created. The second phase was sales where sales has sales operations, sales intelligence. There's multi-billion dollar companies like Gong. Um, Outreach is doing something similar now. There's uh, Clary, there's Salesforce Einstein, which is a multi-billion ARR business now. I think customer success, which is, I would argue is one of the most important facets of your business where if you don't have customers, if you don't take good care of them, then you don't have a business is the least behind or is the most behind in being data driven. And if if there was one thing I could change about the industry is, is getting mimicking what marketing intelligence and sales intelligence is and applying that for customer intelligence too. Okay, uh, I think I have one more question, and then we can wrap up. You've already mentioned everything is data-driven today. All of our processes, all of our companies, organizations, they're being more and more driven by data. Can you talk and kind of expand on that idea and talk about why now is the right time for your company? I think timing-wise, I really think about a few trends that are happening. Number one, it's about, okay, how are we moving towards a subscription economy? A lot of the businesses are becoming recurring revenue businesses. And especially with COVID, we found that it's really important to keep, retain, and expand our current customer base 
because getting new logos for a lot of companies became extremely hard. And I think combining those two trends together, the other macro trend is just the ability of customer success and customer service becoming more and more valuable in the company. There's chief customer officers are becoming CEOs. There's chief customer officers who are as powerful as chief revenue officers. I think those trends combined make that net revenue retention, net dollar retention can have a big impact on a company's growth potential. And as a matter of fact, there's a survey which talked about the companies that have a 120% plus NDR have a 40x growth multiple in the public markets, which means that companies that have uh, a positive net dollar retention have bigger valuations tied to them and are growing faster. And and that makes it really powerful. I think these trends are going to come down to private markets, to smaller companies, to mid-sized companies, private companies, software companies. And and that's what makes, makes us really exciting because we feel like, hey, a, there's an opportunity to uh, to have net dollar retention, have bigger impacts in the company, and for us to build something that can impact net dollar retention. So uh, that's what gets us exciting. G- gets us excited every day. Sure. Okay. So that's it. Before we get out of here, uh, what's the best way for our listeners to reach you and learn more about Involve? If you have any other calls to action, you can include those here as well. Yeah, uh, please reach out to me. I'm at Gaurav, G-A-U-R-A-V at involve.ai. Uh, people can also find me on LinkedIn at Gaurav Bharacharya, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of involve.ai. Awesome. All right, we're going to end it there. If you liked our show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating. Gaurav, thanks for joining the show today. We appreciate your time and your insights. Thank you, Oleg. Thank you for having me.